Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca. Today's scripture is John 3, 16, 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You may be seated. It's my joy to introduce you to John. Come on now, John. Come on, come on, come on. Uh, yeah. First of all, there's a couple of reasons. Paul and I are really glad that John is here because, you know, there's a few more people that have gray hairs here, so, you know, it's a good thing. Uh, and second of all, John, as part of our our, our gathered group, a part of our congregation, brings a wealth of experience, and it's my joy uh, to have him preach this morning. So can I pray for us, and then you can roll? Lord, we thank you for John. Thank you for Doris. We thank you for their involvement in our church. Thank you for their faithfulness throughout the years. I I pray that you would empower him this morning as he preaches your word uh, from John, uh, and I pray that you would uh, have him speak boldly and proclaim your word to us. Amen. I counted the privilege this morning to be able to share the word of God with you. The second Sunday of Advent. Uh, I want to thank Pastors Jake and Paul and Heath for the opportunity. Uh, Pastor Jake is speaking at the South Van Church today. Uh, I found out about this, this about three months ago, and as I was talking to my son, who's a pastor in Calgary, he said, Dad, don't overthink it. Uh, pastor Jake found out that he was speaking at South Van yesterday. So pray for him. Yeah, he needs our prayers. Uh, You might be saying, well, who's the guy in the grandpa sweater up there at the front? Well, I come by that honestly because I have to tell you that uh, yesterday our son and daughter-in-law welcomed our 12th grandchild and and his name is Ezra Caleb Thompson. So we're looking forward to meeting him in January. We're going to Calgary in January. There's something wrong with that picture, but uh, anyway, as you know now, my name is John, and actually last January the 1st, my wife Doris and I walked up from our home on 5th Avenue East, and we were searching for a church that made a priority of preaching the gospel and praying for those who don't yet know Jesus, and we believe that God led us to Christ City East Van, amen? 
That's what we're here for. And this morning, I get to share with you from John 3, verses 16 to 21, which was read for us, and it focuses us on the gift of God's love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, open our eyes by your Holy Spirit to see the greatness of your love toward us and that while we were still sinners, you sent your son Jesus. Father, help us to know how much you love each and every one of us and how much you want us to know that relationship with you by faith in your son. So guide us in our time together and lift up the Lord Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. A number of years ago, I attended a seminar that was on biblical counseling, and the presenter began by asking an interesting question. He said, write down the name of your best friend. It was a bit of a loaded question. As he went along, he began to explain to us that as believers, our best friend is, and you all know the answer, the Sunday school answer, everybody got it? Jesus. And I want to begin today by asking you a loaded question. What is the greatest gift that you have ever received? What is the greatest gift that you have ever received? It is my prayer that if you don't already, by the end of our time together, you will have a clear answer. As I began to prepare this message, there's a description that I read about the opening of John's gospel in the Life Application New Testament commentary, and it gripped my heart. I'd like to share it with you. It says, he spoke, and galaxies whirled into place. Stars burned the heavens, and planets began orbiting their suns. The words of awesome, unlimited, unleashing power. He spoke again. And the waters and lands were filled with plants and creatures, running, swimming, growing, multiplying, words of animating, breathing, pulsing life. Again he spoke, and man and woman were formed, thinking, speaking, and loving, words of personal and creative glory, eternal, infinite, unlimited. He was, is, and always will be the maker the Lord of all that exists. And then he came in the flesh to a tiny spot in the universe called planet Earth, the mighty creator becoming part of his creation, limited by time and space and susceptible to age, sickness, and death, propelled by love. He came to rescue and save, offering forgiveness and life. He is the Word. He is Jesus Christ. It is this truth that the Apostle John presents in his book. John's gospel is not a life of Christ. It is a powerful argument for the incarnation, a conclusive demonstration that Jesus was and is the very heaven-sent Son of God and the only source of eternal life. Let's read the passage again. I'm sure you know it well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The first familiar verse, John 3.16, expresses the truth that Jesus came propelled by love to rescue and to save, offering forgiveness and eternal life. And we're going to look at these verses under three headings. First, the immense love of God. Secondly, the intense work of Christ. And then thirdly, the extent of God's love. Experiencing God's love, living in acceptance, and not condemnation. So the immense love of God from John 3.16. There's an old hymn that I think of fairly often. It's written by Avis B. Christensen. And the title of it is, How Can It Be? We ask that question in one of our songs. The chorus of that hymn asks this question, how can it be? How can it be that God should love a soul like me? Oh, how can it be? And in the context that we're looking at this morning, you may be familiar with it. A religious leader by the name of Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And he comes with a few questions, but he probably goes away with more questions than answers as Jesus speaks to him about the need to be born again. And Nicodemus finds that so hard to understand. He also tells Nicodemus that he is the Son of Man, which is a clear messianic reference to Daniel 7, 13 and 14, that Nicodemus, as a religious scholar, would know very well. And Jesus said that he was to be lifted up as Moses was lifted up. If you just look back a few verses, if you're in John chapter 3, and I hope you are, verse 3 says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verses 14 and 15, he said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And this is the first of 16 times in John's gospel that we hear that term, eternal life. And what we learn is that eternal life is grounded in lifting up. And in John 3.16, we also learn it is grounded in the love of God. It is God's sovereign intended purpose that people should not perish but have eternal life. And Nicodemus could not seem to grasp what he was being told. He asked the question, how can these things be, in verse 9? And after he asks his question, it's interesting, the renowned Pharisee added nothing more to the conversation, at least nothing that is recorded for us. The dialogue moves into a discourse by Jesus. So Jesus is the one speaking who tells Nicodemus about the love of God. You'll remember that the one thing that impressed the crowds 
and severely irritated the Jewish leaders was that Jesus spoke and taught with authority. The basic issue for a Pharisee like Nicodemus was the authority of Jesus. Nicodemus was willing to grant by virtue of the miraculous signs that were performed by Jesus that he was a man sent from God. He said that in verse 2. But this was not nearly enough. Jesus was not just a man sent from God. Jesus is God sent as a man. And in John 3.16, Jesus takes us and Nicodemus beyond the meaning of salvation, beyond the means of salvation, to the very motive for salvation. Here we are exposed to the heart of God. And we also see our own hearts exposed. The heart of God is revealed. It is not the love of the Son that is highlighted. It is love, the love of God the Father who gave His only Son. And we learn that God's love draws all people. God so loved the world. Let that sink in. The world of all people, men and women, boys and girls. And as Christmas approaches, we begin to think about giving and receiving gifts. God gave his best gift, the greatest gift of all, the gift of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus did not die on the cross to compel God to love people. He already does. His character is love. In 1 John 4 and verse 8, we are told that God is love. And I'd, I'd encourage you, when you have time, read 1 John 4, especially verses 7 to 21, learning about how much God loves. In the fullness of His love, God gave His Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus came to deliver from death and to offer the gift of eternal life to those who believe. I think sometimes we get so confused about what's really living. A few quotes show that. The Dalai Lama said, the purpose of our lives is to be happy. John Lennon said, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Stephen King said, get busy living or get busy dying. And in so many ways, we forget the most important truth. It was indelibly imprinted on my heart at my grandmother's funeral. Her pastor said this, and I want you to listen carefully. We are not in the land of the living and on our way to the land of the dying. We are in the land of the dying, but in Jesus Christ, we are on our way to the land of the living. What hope we have in Jesus. Psalm 27, verse 13, the psalmist put it this way, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Just think about it, because I have believed in Jesus. I know that if I were to die tonight, I'd go to heaven to be with God. It's not because of anything that I have done. It's because Jesus has saved me. Do you know you're going to heaven tonight to be with God? When we don't know Christ... We make choices as though 
this life is all that we have. In reality, this life is but the introduction to eternity. That's when real living starts. And it goes on forever. The gift of eternal life is offered through the lifting up on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither Nicodemus nor anyone else can respond to the words of Jesus until they've come to grips with who he is. Who is Jesus? He is God who came as a man. And once that is settled, what Jesus said comes home to our hearts. You must be born again. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We need to understand the immense love of God. And in order to see God's immense love, we then look at our second point, the intense work of Christ in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The basis for entrance into eternal life is the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is by virtue of the fact that God's Messiah has been lifted up on the cross of Calvary that men and women can be born again. The immediate result of God's immense love is the intense work of His Son. He gave His Son who gave His life for us. If the motive of the cross of Calvary is the love of God for the world, the reason for God sending His Son was so we could be saved and not condemned. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the world is condemned already. We already stand condemned. And God offers salvation through Jesus Christ. He bore the condemnation that we deserved in order to bring us into relationship with God through the forgiveness of our sins. I love the way Paul put his summary of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, where he said, For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Jesus died for our sins. He bore our punishment the punishment that we deserve because we are sinners. Isaiah, 600 years before Jesus came, prophesied, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What Jesus is telling us in the book of John is that the person who believes in Jesus is not condemned. One of my favorite verses says it so clearly. 
John 5 and verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And when you pass from death to life, you begin to experience firsthand and to understand the extent of God's love. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you understand it? And He wants us to experience His love on a daily basis, to live in acceptance and not condemnation. John 3, 18 to 21. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, believing in Jesus brings acceptance. We believe that Jesus is the only Son of God who died for our sins and rose again on the third day. We belong to the family of God. We know that our sins are forgiven. We are made right with God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And what we begin to understand is that Jesus Christ was lifted up so that we could be lifted up and out of our sins and live for Him. There is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verses 1 and 2 sets that clearly before us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If you're feeling down, read Romans chapter 8. It's a great chapter that expresses how much God cares for us. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We learn in Romans 8 that the Spirit of God intercedes for us. When we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray, the Spirit of God speaks to God on our behalf, and so does Jesus. Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We are not condemned because Jesus Christ took the condemnation and the judgment that we deserved upon himself. He died for our sins, for my sins, for your sins on the cross of Calvary. And I say it again, he was lifted up so we could be lifted out of our sins. But we need to pay careful attention to these verses, 18 to 21, because John tells us that to not believe is to stand condemned. Verses 16 and 17, 17 explain the motive of God in sending his only son. Verses 18 to 20 expose the wickedness of the hearts of those who reject him. Those who are condemned 
do not believe. They love darkness. Their works are evil. They hate the light because it exposes the darkness. Verse 21 describes those who are accepted. They believe in Jesus. They love the light. They do good works, not to earn salvation, but because they are saved. And they rejoice in the truth. And God's invitation to you is to come to the light, to live in the truth, to believe that Jesus died for your sins and to trust in him. Believing brings acceptance. You can experience God's love and live in acceptance, not condemnation. I don't know how many of you may know of F.M. Lehman's great hymn. It's a hymn simply entitled, The Love of God. Does anybody know it? There's two of us. Three, maybe. The last verse actually was not penned by F.M. Lehman. He found it inscribed on the wall of a care facility next to the bed of a man who had evidently found the love of God before he passed away. The hymn reads this way. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. When years of time shall pass away, and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who here refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure will still endure, all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints' and angels' song. And this third verse, could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Think about the love of God. It is massive. It is immense. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. Don't you want to sing that song in your heart this morning? The love of God, it reaches so deeply into our lives. Do you know the love of God today? By the way, Nicodemus did believe in Jesus. He came with Joseph of Arimathea to help bury the body of Jesus. And a few days later, he joined the other, other believers rejoicing in the resurrection of Jesus. Can you think about that? Nicodemus' questions were answered, and God wants to answer the questions in your heart today. As we close, I want to suggest that you repeat the words of John 3.16 with your name inserted. For God so loved, put your name in there, that he gave his only son, that if your name believes in him, 
you, your name right there, should not perish but have eternal life. Are you willing to accept God's greatest gift this Christmas? Christian humorist and writer Phil Calloway tells a long Christmas story about his grandpa and the greatest gift. It kind of goes on and on, so I'm just coming to the end of it. He ends it this way. He says, Grandpa especially loved to read us the Christmas story of the light that came blazing into the world, landing in a most unusual place just for us, of the Son of God in a barn. And he told us that God could have given us anything he wanted, but he gave us the best gift of all, himself. And Calloway says, I hope that's what you remember and you think of at Christmas. He describes his home at Christmas as he was growing up, and he says, above us, suspended from a red string, is a row of Christmas cards. And he says, in the very center hangs my favorite. And the words of that card say this, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an accountant. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need is forgiveness, and God sent us a Savior. Amen? That's what Jesus came to do, to deliver us from death to life. The gift of God's love is the greatest gift. Have you received God's greatest gift? And you might say, as Nicodemus did, how can this be? Because we talk about believing in Jesus. We talk about trusting in Him. We use the words of John 3, you must be born again. And it can seem like such obscure terms. Simply put, salvation is to repent and turn from your sin and turn to Jesus to save you and give you eternal life. One of the best ways I heard it explained one time was this, to trust in Jesus for salvation is to exchange all that I am for all that he is. To exchange all that I am for all that he is. He was lifted up on the cross so we could be lifted out of our sins. And we'd love to pray with you and to help you understand Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greatness of your love toward us. We marvel that in your plan and purpose, you gave your one and only Son, and Jesus left the glories of heaven. He came to this earth. He was born as a baby and laid in a manger, and he grew up and lived a perfect and a sinless life. And he gave his life in sacrifice for our sins. He bore our sins on the cross. He was lifted up so we could be lifted out 
of our sins. Father, thank you for so great salvation. My prayer would be that each one who is here would understand the greatness of your gift, the fullness of your love, and would accept what you have done through Jesus to exchange all that they are for all that Jesus is. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.